Hi, welcome to Cans Across the World, episode 95. Joined this week by Alan Mahan, co-founder of Brewgooder. And thanks very much for coming to chat this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's good to hear a local voice talking about beer as well. Um, even though I'm in Scotland, it's always good to uh, hear a back home accent. So yeah, definitely delighted to be doing the show. Happy days. Uh, you see, you're actually from here as well. Yeah, um, Belfast originally um, grew up in the Glen Road in West Belfast and moved to Ballycastle when I was about 11, maybe. Um, so yeah, um, I made the, the move to Scotland for university um, and that was largely based off the fact, not of Newcastle sort of perspectives, but of um, the fact that all the bands that I really like listening to um, were always playing in Glasgow and I felt like it was close enough to home that if I ever got homesick, I could jump on the ferry and get back pretty easily. I think there's something on the water over there. Like Glasgow just produces the best bands as well. Oh, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the other best bands uh, come and visit it. So, yeah, there must be there must be something in the water. It must be the, the massive amount of rain that that place gets that, that changes the, the atmosphere in the dynamics. <laughs> uh, you're here today to talk about your craft beer company. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you tell us a wee bit about your sort of journey in the craft beer world and what sort of inspired you to create Brewgooder? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I could probably take it back to when I left university after listening to all those uh, or watching all those bands playing King Tuts. Um, I ended up traveling just after um, university to Nepal and I did a bit of a you know international development volunteer and work there. And I did what everyone tells you um, not to do, and that's drinking unsafe for you know a water source where you don't know where it's come from. But I was 22 mm-hmm. and I was um, full of hubris, so I decided uh, to take the chance. And about three weeks into that, I started feeling a bit unwell and, and sick, and things stopped working like they should. And then three months sort of down the line, I ended up getting quite um, badly sort of infected, if you like, with a a parasite which meant that just my digestive system wasn't really working so I had this experience where I'd become sick from something that I'd really been you know used to you know coming from from where we do um, and at that same sort of moment I was looking for a career and I thought that this was like a vocational thing for me you know I had this experience you know I wanted to almost um, give back to, to water as a a sort of cause if you like and I'd started applying for lots of different jobs and different charities and, and government agencies and got rejected from pretty much every single one of them and then when I did get oh. a job at a at a sandwich shop um whenever I was uh, about a year later into that whole journey I started getting you know going from being a poor student to a poor graduate but I had a bit more money in my back pocket to spend and I noticed that I did two things really I started buying better coffee and I started buying better beer. I went from buying one pound pints in, in the student union to three or four pound cans of, you know, even then that's not my size, quite cheap, uh, of, of <laughs> cloud water and, and, and Daya and all that sort of stuff. And I just was amazed, I guess, by how much passion actually was produced by beer. I, I always looked at beer, whatever it was, whether it's mass produced lager or whether it's you know, a sour, you know, lactose pastry, whatever, you know, it it evokes a lot of passion. It evokes yeah. a lot of, you know, reciprocity, I guess, the oldest form of, you know, showing your love for 
people was, you know, to buy them a, a pint and then have them buy you one back. And I thought that, that was always a really simple mechanic. And I felt like there was something in craft beer that actually really dialed that up. People were super passionate about local breweries or new styles that were um, that were being developed or, you know, the big American sort of, you know, heritage brewers and, and or the Belgian ones. And, and people really talked about it, inspired a lot of debate and, and people took it quite seriously. And I thought, you know, my own journey, I, lo- I loved it, how accessible it was becoming. And I wondered if you could combine that experience that I had with, with unsafe drinking water um, and this new emerging love for beer, I guess. And if you can put them together, what could yeah. you try and achieve? So I had this notion that we would use our profits from, you know, selling beer to, to bring it, to bring people clean drinking water in, in developing countries. And that's kind of where Brugger started, I guess, as that idea. Um, I started to, you know, try and get into the actual, move away from the drinking side and get into the actual brewing side of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, brewed, I, I brewed a batch of beer that we were going to sell um, at a, a sort of festival that we were attending, that, that sandwich shop that I worked for. And, you know, I brewed, I think, a thousand bottles in total and of clean water lager version one uh about 300 of them started exploding in my living room because they just were not brewed correctly um and the other 700 that survived the the hand grenades that that they were um tasted absolutely awful and i thought that there was no way that i could possibly build a brand or you know a company that delivered impact at scale you know for me it was it was a really ambitious target of bringing a million people clean drinking water that I couldn't do that you know trying to perfect my own inability for brewing then scale that up I, I felt like it was a much you know simpler I guess um but still challenging model of actually working with big breweries uh, or sorry bigger breweries um to bring liquids to market that, that yeah. people could access quite easily and we started with lager we've grown into the paleo categories and we're launching you know new beers even you know as early as, as next week um we're bringing really cool beers to the market with one of our retail partners but the idea was that we would work with their spare capacity we would brew beer we would sell it we use the profits for for clean drinking water projects and that five-year journey has basically brought us to where we are now, um, and we've been able to unlock, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of liters of water on projects that have empowered um, over 155,000 people, uh, particularly in, in Malawi, where mm-hmm. a lot of that money has been invested, and that's you know touching the, the quarter of a million pound invested mark. So yeah. it's been a good start. Um, I think we've learned a lot along the way, and you know we have. A rebrand coming up we have a different way of talking about and, and delivering the impact that that we want to have um going forward so it's easier for drinkers to understand but i guess there's highlights in there that that have brought me from you know all the way from that terrible experience of exploding beer bottles through to working with some of the brewers that i've really admired since since day one of, of getting involved with craft beer really yeah because uh some of them are uh, like james and Oh, I'm, t- I'm like terrible with names, but the guys from Breedog. Um, yeah, so really... we still brew uh, our lager with them. Um, yeah. We have done since, since 2016, yeah. Yeah, like they're, 
they're absolutely mental. <laughs> I, love, yeah. I love how like uh, creative they are about their marketing and stuff like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. They've, they've <laughs> always been known for for disruption for sure. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been great to work with them for the past past few while for sure. Incredible. But uh, your clean water beers, then you've such a big variety. Um, so like the thing that got me was the. Uh, like I watched one of your videos, it's only about like 50 seconds long or something, but mm-hmm. it's uh, the dirty pint. You see a fella in Malawi um, mm-hmm. just like going to pour a, a pint of water. Yeah. And it's just so powerful. It's like you don't hear anything. It's just like the mm-hmm. wind around him and stuff. But then I was just thinking, oh, I just had a glass of water this morning and I can't. Uh, it's just like puts things into like perspective for you, I think. Definitely. Yeah. I uh, mean, Thanks for referencing that campaign. I mean, I, I think from my point of view, that was to try and get people to understand that, you know, there's this thing, especially if you're in university, called the dirty pint. It's a punishment. It's something no one wants to do. Um, yeah. It's something that people, you know, it's a forfeit almost. Like it's it's something bad that, that comes on you, but it's not something that stays with you or follows you around for life. And I think that that was trying to juxtapose with... I guess the fact that it's not a choice for, you know, literally hundreds of millions of people. Um, and it's a hard thing, man. I mean, I think the biggest challenge of Brugger is, is is that we're trying to talk and speak on, a, on an issue which is of global significance to to consumers who've never really experienced it in their day-to-day life, like you just yeah. kind of highlighted. And exactly. I think that's a, a massive challenge. How do you make it relevant? How do you make what we do relevant? to people who will never really come face to face with that and how do you try and tell that story in a, in a powerful way and I think we're learning we've learned certainly and you know you'll see over the next few months how we tell that story is going to change but it's it, you know we did out of home activations on billboards across the country a few weeks ago which were basically you know here's one way of understanding you know that normal people have access to water and they go on and live you know great lives but if you cross out some of the stuff it actually tells a story where people don't and i think that that's really um the essence of trying to get people to understand not just that the beer that they drink helps us cause but also like what it actually is um, yeah. and the scale of it yeah it's incredible like because uh, like if you even say to somebody oh can i get you a glass of water they'll say i'll run the top of it so it's cold and it's <laughs> it's like there's yeah. so much waste before yeah and i i looked at it like that as well but yeah. i actually think you know, we have a super abundance of, of water particularly in in northern europe i guess it's slightly different in in the south of england at times when it comes to just the population in some of those places you know putting the strain on it but you know we don't we you know my example was running the, the water when you're um when you're brushing your teeth but for people who are listening that haven't seen dirty pint or haven't you know don't understand as much as as, as um i've never experienced the issue it's not like people in, in malawi turn on a tap and nothing about there is no tap there is yeah. no safe source of water it's you know holes in the ground you know it's years of I guess underdevelopment that is just compounding and compounding and compounding so that you're born into this cycle, I guess, where yeah. your health and your education outcomes are determined by it. So don't ever feel guilty. I mean, it's you know, probably not ideal to, to run water infinitely, but don't feel <laughs> guilty about pouring yourself a glass of water. You know, drinking a pint of beer probably has about 
60 or 70 pints of, of, of water that have gone into that creation. It's much more about understanding that the water itself is, is, is the means of the issue, but the issue is actually empowering people. Like, can people go on to have better lives themselves, to enjoy the same quality of life that you and I enjoy, or the same ability to create opportunities or go after ambitions for themselves? And I think that's really what Bruder should be about, and, and that's what we're trying to, I guess, educate punters about at the same time. Yeah, that's incredible. That's what got me so excited about it. Um, but you've recently become a B-Core as well. Like, how did it feel being recognized as a... Yeah, I mean, we've, I think um, we've been B-Core recognized for three years now, to, to be honest. We were yeah. the first brewery in Scotland, uh, or beer brand in Scotland to have that. It, it feels good, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're highlighted as being one of the sort of you know, best business practice um, companies in, in the world. And we're in really, really good company there. You know, Patagonia, for example, is a brand I really admire that's part of that. Um, it feels good, but it also, you know, it, it takes hard work to, to keep, you know, getting better, I guess. And it's not a reason to, to sit back and relax. I think the challenge with B Corp is that it's very hard for that to cut through to consumers and the, the consumers really actually know and care enough about that at this moment in time but yeah as bigger breweries join that march i guess and brewdog we're we're certainly one of the northern monk um there's a few breweries big breweries that i'm working with to kind of i wouldn't say consult but hope help steer them through that process so that actually it becomes something that most craft breweries and, and, and most big ones are fully um fully shouting about and, and drinkers actually care and eventually it'll get to the stage where they will you know, hopefully choose B-Corp breweries over, over standard non-B-Corp breweries, I guess. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Um, just like uh, if a breweries are also giving something back as well as, you know, making massive profit. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and listen, you, you know, profit is a, is, is motivated business, right? You know, yeah, absolutely. people can balance that with, um, balance that with a care for other things other than profit, then slowly by surely that will hopefully in time, you know, create something that, that creates value beyond just that bottom line profit that goes to, to shareholders. And I think if more people can align those two things, then, you know, that's a win-win for everybody. That's it. Um, but I've I just seen as well, like you're also doing other beers for like the theater arts, um, which is like the Jack and Beer Hops. Yeah, um, that's so cool. Like you can buy a ticket. It's up to like five to fifteen pounds, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. so that yeah that was um that was uh kind of a I guess it started a wee bit before that. Like when lockdown came last year, we decided as a team if we were going to do like go out under this like hail of of crap that was coming our way, like we might as well do something that we really like left the mark with. So we actually launched a campaign called One on Us, which was um, for NHS workers that could claim a four pack of beer paid for by a drinker. And they would leave a, a little note, effectively, a, a, like a thank you. And that would be sent across. And we thought, you know, it'd be great to do a thousand packs or whatever. So we ended up shipping about 28,000 beers across the UK to all these different oh. um, frontline workers, like at the height of lockdown, like the real, real dark days of the pandemic. You know, which was which was awesome, and and that kind of taught us that our brand stood for more than just clean water. It was actually really about people positivity. Like, how can you use beer to facilitate like just good stuff in the world? 
Um, so with that, we actually decided, you know, one of the things that we would have got excited about, you know, as a team internally, is a Christmas tradition was going to the Panto, yeah, going to the theatre, <laughs> and we couldn't do that obviously because it was it was locked down. And we just decided, well, if we're not going to be able to do go to the Panto, why don't we just do one ourselves? So we actually got a uh, a few sort of actors who would normally participate in in the theatre, uh, Johnny McKnight, who's a Panto writer. He ended up writing as a pantomime. You know, we brewed four different beers. We worked with Wild Beer. We worked with um, Monto Beer. We worked with Gypsy Hill. And we worked with Fierce. And we ended up putting together, you know, a story about a small brewery getting visited by the taxman, which was all about the, <laughs> the small brewer's duty relief. We had Boris Weatherspun, who was the, um, the bad guy in it, which is obviously, you know, Boris Johnson and Weatherspun <laughs> combined. And that was really, really cool. I think that was so so much fun to do. And um, we ended up raising about five grand for the hardship fund for, for theatre actors. So yeah, I think that sort of creative way of trying to do something cool for people is, is definitely something that we um, want to do more of in the future, for sure. Yeah, it was just, it just made me laugh so much just seeing the wee uh, Daisy the Coup, like cans yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I, just... I know, it was, it was fun. <laughs> And it, with the case, they were really tasty beers. Like there were beers that really um, were super proud of as, as much as the campaign as well. Yeah, but like you, uh, you've always been a brewery of trying to bring people together, um, mm. especially like you had the global gathering that was supposed to happen last year. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have plans of doing something like that in the future? Yeah, I mean, the global gathering is, is um, yeah, it's a, it's a, sad story I guess we um it was going to be our fifth birthday um is that right no our fourth birthday and we basically asked different brewers you know we expected about 100 um we ended up getting 254 signing up from 24 different countries but we asked them you know let's brew a beer together let's release it let's give people beer tap room let's get loads of you know people coming and fundraising and drinking the beer and having a good time and then it got to like January and we're like, right, there's this virus in China. And then, you know, we looked at Hong, the Hong Kong breweries and thought mm, they might be at risk. And then it sort of kept moving west. And then we saw, you know, I think it was Denmark went into lockdown at the very start of March. And we're like, maybe we've lost Denmark. And then we got to, you know, a couple of weeks out. And we're like, this is not the right thing to be doing. You can't be encouraging people to get together at a time when there's effectively a pandemic. So we had to cancel it. And it was, you know, for me, that was, we were working with like an Avery, you know, Deschutes, Brooklyn, um, Beaver Town, uh, you know, wow. Northern Monk, like you're, the heroes, like the guys that you really looked up to in the industry. And, and then it all came crashing down because of the pandemic. <laughs> so that actually raised, that ended up, a lot of breweries did end up raising uh, or releasing their beer and fundraising from it. And it raised just over 50 grand and that was invested in um, two healthcare facilities that were fighting COVID in um, in Malawi. So that ended up being really, really useful the, the sort of that trained 60 nurses at um, COVID prevention that went into the different villages um, to sort of build resilience there. And I think the total reach of that was was over 60,000 people that were impacted wow. by that. And that will go on for, for years and years and years in terms of the, the upgrades to the water facilities in the, um, in the different, in the 
in the different healthcare facilities. So yeah, that still had that still had a huge impact, which just shows like what we could have done if, if the whole thing kind of went off um, without a hitch. But I think there's appetite for it. I think there's appetite to, to work on a project like Global Gathering again. But I think for us, the I guess the the priority is to allow the recovery of the businesses that were lending us their support because some of them are sadly no longer with us and then some of them will be, you know, really hurting and, and trying to focus on just getting back on their feet again. Yeah. So for, from my point of view, you know, the, the the next global gathering might not be next March, it might be the March after, but, but we'll see. Yeah, that's it. Uh, like so many bars and stuff have broke, like closed here and they're never going to open again. Um, like it's, it's so sad, yeah. Like uh, I think I think Spaniards away. Do you remember the Spaniard from? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Which is um, yeah, it had all the Virgin Marys all over the place. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> paintings of it, stuff and icons. But that's it's. I think that's really really hard because I think Northern Ireland has a really you know burgeoning scene in that respect. You know, you got Bullhouse, you got um, Boundary, um, you've got more established players like Hilden, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and yeah, one of the plans that we have over the next few while is to actually look at Northern Ireland from a distribution point of view and even a brewing and country point of view. Um, I think if there's any brewers out there who, you know, could see value in helping us bring our beers to, to the market in, in Northern Ireland, because we, all, we, all, we operate on a collaborative basis where we always work in country with breweries so that we're, we're, we're making the greenest possible beer as well as ones that basically use Northern Irish water, Irish water to um to facilitate this this distribution of water around the world to, to get in touch with us because it's obviously a place that's close to my heart having grown up there. Um but yeah, it, it would be awesome to see Bruder beers. Um a lot of my family ordered them constantly and hand them out to to their friends and neighbours. So I think there's there's probably a wee community of um of Bruder drinkers who are, who are already there. Brilliant. Yeah, I think uh, Bullhouse is probably the best shout. Uh, they seem to do a lot, a lot of collabs. Uh, yeah. One of my favorites was Lucy Goosey, which was like, uh, it was like a, a milkshake sort of IPA thing. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, probably reaching out to Willie and stuff like that would be incredible. Yeah, if you have um, if you have details, um, pass it on or if Willie's listening. Um, yeah, I think they did a, a, a beer um for the global gathering, which was awesome, but yeah, th- th- it would be cool to to work with other other um, other breweries, and particularly ones like that that are you know in, in Northern Ireland would be fantastic. Um, but turn to brewing yourself. I always ask this to every brewer. <laughs> like, do you have any like quirks or traditions that you have to do like during the brewing process? Like, some people uh, have to do a wee dance. I found out out of. Um, Dr. Keith Thea of Blue Moon Syria, like yeah. he has uh, like a, a statue of Ares. <laughs> or a, <laughs> yeah, a few superstitions. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not the one who does the brewing. Um, we definitely, um, we definitely, you know, are involved with our brewing process, but we use you know other people's brewers. So we probably you never know. There's potentially dozens, if not hundreds, of, of different <laughs> rituals and dances with statues that get invoked and um, just before our beer goes in. And um, I think I have definitely 
uh, from a drinker's point of view, um, we have I have traditions. If I leave the city in Scotland and we're stopping off for at a pub, I always uh, make sure that whatever's on offer, um, I always drink a, a pint of best bitter, uh, belly best, belly best, um, because it's just such a delicious experience. Um, but all you know, anywhere I go, I try to drink as local as possible. Yeah. So you know that for me, that's that's key. You know, I think there's a bar in, um, which is quite a shame. I've I've been into a lot of times in um, in Belfast. I think is it Woodworkers? Wood, wood Woodworkers? Oh right? yeah, just uh, yeah. the one just beside Laveries, yeah. Laveries, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things is, is like there's always great beer in there. Don't don't get me wrong, but there's you know very rarely on draft like Northern Irish craft beers, and yes. I'm not sure why why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know wherever you go to New York or wherever you go to a place that's got a scene, you know, it's always my ritual is, is probably not superstitious to just to drink as local as possible, really. So I can only speak to it from a from a boozer's point of view rather than a brewer's. That's it. Um, oh, I, should, I, should have, I should have maybe done one whenever they were exploding on me and they wouldn't have blown up. Yeah, you know, maybe that's... If I had a statue of, um, you know, whoever it was, uh, Egyptian god or whatever, kiss its feet, maybe their beers wouldn't have blown up and the whole story would have been very different. That could have been it. I mean, maybe, but then it, there wouldn't have been a brewgooder out of that. Like, maybe it's... Yeah, not certainly not the way it's turned out anyway, but yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe there's a parallel universe where it turned out a little bit different. Yeah. That's it. But uh, just before we wrap up here, uh, you mentioned you've got some beers dropping and a brand new campaign. Um, do you have any exciting news that people can watch out for? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can and I can't. Um, the, the real shame of it is that it's under embargo, uh, yep. literally days <laughs> away. But I would think um, we've, we've, we've got some really, really good collaboration beers that are coming up um, and, and to keep an eye on our, our socials on the 21st of, Mar- of April. Um, we're going to be releasing two new beers that hopefully will be online um, and in some uh, retailers that might be close to the guys back home. Uh, we're also rebranding, if you like. We're, we're, we'll have a new look and feel coming out. And we've got a completely new measure of how each beer makes an impact. And I think that, for me, is the single biggest thing you can ask people to look out for because you're going to be able to know exactly, exactly what difference your beer is making. And I think that that's going to be a game changer for, for us. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, we'll be sharing everything that you guys are dropping as well and on the website. Awesome. Um, we'll have everything to do with Brew Gooder and a bunch of videos and something out on the same page that the podcast is going to be on. Um, just so everybody checking out cans across the world can see exactly what you're up to as well. Nice. Uh, but thanks very much for being a guest this week's podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Um, thanks, Sean. And uh, yeah, um, if anyone ever wants to get in touch with me, um, just alan at brewgooder.com. Um, I'd love to talk for you um, and hopefully get our beers over to, to Northern Ireland as well. All right. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Take care.